The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100-GAMBLER. Visit rg-help.com. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Welcome to the Week 10 Friday edition of the Ringer Gambling Show. Warren Sharp joined, as always, by House. And we're going to be rolling through some of his favorite bets. We're going to work in some of your favorite bets. We're going to hit those up at the end. We're going to shout out anybody who drops us a bet that we end up choosing. House is going to choose. He's going to bet his money on it. Hopefully, you guys are going to profit together. And I'll share a few things or two of my own as well. But first, before we dive into that house... What do you got for us in terms of trends so far this season? Yeah, Sharpie, we are rapidly approaching lock it up time. It's time to lock it up. And the two sort of headline games of the week uh, are division leaders. We're, we're now at the point where we can go ahead and start, you know, looking for the pretenders, looking for the contenders, looking for opportunities to fade. It's just an under season is the thing with, with the trends. I mean, it's under dogs, it's under totals. And, you know, uh, you, you can sort of have your, your choice of what you prefer. Do you like tight underdogs? Those tight underdogs went four, one and two against the spread last week, depending on whether you got the C words at three and a half or three. Um, and then that dead zone between three points and 10 points those underdogs are now 43 and 23 against the spread. When we were catching bodies in that dead zone, we're going to start calling this dead zone the vacants. You know, we'll give a shout out to the wire. The, the Ravens coming around right now. We'll give a nice nod to Baltimore. Why not? 43 and 23, 65%. And there's another like six or seven games that kind of fit that three point to 10 point uh, favorite model um, that that's on the docket this week. So we'll look for some opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. No, there's uh I mean, we've got this we got this game over in Germany that's going to be kind of fun. Otherwise, the slate's a little weird because most of the week there's been like four games circled in red. Uh I also want to get your thoughts on the Colts coaching situation. Um but I mean, let's dive right in here, my friend. Which game you want to start with? Let's do it. Well, I mean, let, let's first give ourselves the pat on the back. We did hit uh our favorite bet of the week which was the Bears getting, uh, was it three and a half or four last week against the Dolphins? Either way, they were competitive. Justin Fields continues to show us he's the best quarterback from that class. We hit our sensible teaser once again, Seattle at Arizona. We teased them up to seven and a half. Cincinnati, we teased down to one. Unfortunately, the betting buddy wager of the week took the L. We were probably like a little, I don't know. I was feeling a little delirious. I might've had some cold medicine. Uh, last Friday morning, three leg teaser. Uh, we hit two of the legs. The third leg was the Saints catching eight and a half 
at home against Baltimore. And man, Andy Dalton reminded us of, of Andy Dalton in prime time. Uh, it was not pleasant to watch. But look, Hope Springs Eternal, another week, another opportunity for a betting buddy to, to, to uh, jump in. I'll try and be a little more serious about what we choose together, Mr. Sharp. But look, man, the marquee game, we're going to be in bed. It's, it's Tampa favored by two and a half uh, uh, in Germany against Seattle. And once again, I'm here to announce I love Seattle as a teaser leg here. Um, the Seahawks over the last five games are fourth in DVOA. Their defense has improved immensely. They were dead last in many DVOA categories through the first handful of games, and they've really righted that ship, which is kind of consistent with a, a Pete Carroll situation. And on the other hand, man, the Buccaneers look average. So that's why we have Tampa. It's just a neutral field game. Tampa Tampa has a neutral field, two and a half point favorite. I just love the idea of teasing Seattle up. They're like five and two this season uh, as underdogs. And so grabbing the points and, and pushing it up, it feels delightful to me. Uh, they're very close, the Seattle Seahawks, to being eight and one on the season. I mean, they led Atlanta with 30 seconds left and they led the Saints with five minutes left. Seattle's pretty gosh darn good. So let me have them at something greater than a touchdown over in Germany. H how are you lining this one up, Sharpie? Well, I talked about it uh, last week, and I'm going to carry on the same discussion, which is like there, there's, there is a group of sharp guys that just don't feel like they want to buy into this Seahawks team. And I don't know what that is. I think it's because some of the models get influenced by what happened the first month of the season and how terrible this defense was. So that's part of it. Um, also, you got like the whole prejudice with regard to Geno Smith. Like you've seen him in years past and he just hasn't been as good as he is right now. Um, and and so you're like, I, I, I can't look at this guy through anything but what's the opposite of rose-colored glasses, right? Like you got tinted glasses. Poop-colored. Poop-colored glasses. You're looking at him and you're like, you know, I... I I, I can't get the stigma out of my eye thinking about that this guy isn't the guy that I'm now seeing on the field that's not producing the statistics in the in, in the stat sheet. But what I keep coming back to is the run game of Kenneth Walker. And he's a stud and he's explosive as hell and is fun to watch. But the problem is his success on a down-to-down -down basis is relatively low. It was the lowest of any running back out of 50 entering last week's games and he's got the upside explosion, but there's two frequently runs that don't gain the yards required that don't produce positive EV that do not, uh, that set the team up to have to overcome it on second or third down. Here's the issue specifically for this week. And that's Akeem Hicks. Akeem Hicks, you know, from when he was in Chicago, if he's in the lineup, Think about the Bears team differently if you're trying to bet against them. If he's out of the lineup, think about that Bears team differently if you're trying to bet on them because he's a massive difference maker to what they can do against the run and that changes the whole complex of the defense itself. Hicks is now in Tampa Bay. He played week one, started week two, subsequently was injured, missed every game until week nine, then returned week nine. Now we're in week 10, okay? Early down splits with Hicks on the field, 3.7 yards per carry. 0.5 yards before contact per rush. With him off the field, 4.8 yards per carry, 1.4 yards before contact per rush. To put this into context, the NFL average for early down running back runs, which is the data I'm sharing with you here, is 1.4 yards before contact per rush. With him off the field, the Bucks are a total average run defense. And we've seen that. We've seen that over the past several weeks before last week. Them get exploited by some teams. We're like, why aren't they stopping the run? I thought this was one of the best run defenses in the NFL. And teams were running on them and having success in doing so. Uh, that is when he's off the field, they are purely an average defense as it relates to yards before contact per rush. When he's on the field, they're allowing 0.5. The number one best team in the NFL this year is 0.76. They are well above the number one best run defense in the league in yards before contact per rush when he's out on the field. He's going to be there in Germany. So we're going to see the Geno Smith-led Seahawks need to focus a little bit more on the pass attack. Do you remember teams used to play this Bucks 
defense and just like come out throwing the ball, right? They're like, we're yeah. not even going to try to run the football here. That's because right. Because we don't think we're going to have success. I'm really curious when you wake up and you go and watch that game, are the Seahawks going to decide from before the game starts? Akeem Hicks is in there. We're going to rely a lot more on Geno Smith in this game. Or are they going to try to run? And if they do try to run a lot, are those runs going to be successful at all? My vote would be no. My vote would be we'll, we maybe will see an explosive run or so, but most of these runs are going to be gaining less than four yards and setting Geno up you know, behind the sticks. The only other thing I'll say to counterpoint that is that is the offensive strategy of Byron Leftwich. Like setting Tom Brady up behind the sticks is what this team goes with. It is mind-boggling how frequently they were running the ball on first downs. Last week, they said they wanted to do it. The pregame shows were littered with reporters admitting that they have heard from inside the building that they want to do it. Lo and behold, they come out and all they do is hand the ball off. Whether it's whether it's number one, number two, number three running back, they rotate them now, but it's hand the ball off on first down. And it's gross and it's predictable. And it sets Tom Brady up for second and long, third and long situations, which we discussed last week. And that's only gotten worse. And I think it's going to get even worse now that they're going up against this Seattle Seahawks defense that is improving, like you alluded to. So I think it's going to be a great game, but I really am worried about the this early down rushing and how inefficient it's going to be out of both teams. And whichever team pivots more to the pass game quickest, in my opinion, is the one that's probably going to come away with the win. We have confirmed that Shaq Barrett is out, right? Correct. Yeah, so that that is something that might, if you're like trying to guess how to to tip the scales a little bit, you know, that you would expect a little more comfort out of Geno Smith in Seattle uh, in terms of a passing attack and maybe pivoting away from those early down runs, you know, sooner, right? Possibly, potentially. I don't know. I you know, I really don't know. I really hard to don't say know. game script wise, hard right? But look at this, we. You know, very, very good game Sunday morning. Fun way to spend a, a Sunday morning. I'm like looking forward to it. Time. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have to touch on the Vikings Bills game because uh, it also features division leaders. Um, and yet we have no idea whether Josh Allen's going to play. Although if I had to wager on it, I would bet against him playing this week. Um, and some... I've seen a little bit of like scuttlebutt that he might not play next week either. Um, the line has moved in response to the the idea that he might not play. It feels like it hasn't moved enough. If you have conviction that he's not going to play, it's at three and a half now. Is that what you're seeing on the board? Correct. Yep. Yeah. Three and a half everywhere. Totals at 42 and a half. And, you know, Minnesota's on a roll. Minnesota has all of its offensive weapons. You hit on this last week. The TJ Hawkinson acquisition was was really meaningful for them. But really, you know, this is Kirk Cousins. He's not in a dome, so he's not in his perfect comfort spot, but he is at 1 o'clock, 45-34-2 and two against the spread at 1 o'clock. Ha- handled the C-words last week at 1 o'clock outdoors. Case Keenum is just... You know, you can't overstate the difference in terms of the game plan for Buffalo and the impact on their offensive weapons. Um, And the other thing that's sort of worth the calculated risk with the Vikings, if you want to go that direction, they can run the ball and the Bills are not great uh, defensively in either run efficiency or explosive runs allowed. So do you feel like there's some potential for closing line value here if you jump in now? grab Minnesota and then they announce Keenum and that line goes what to, to one and a half to, to even what's the direction the line will go? Well, it's definitely, I definitely think it's going to go below the three. And I believe that that would be the case like two days ago that it would go below the three. The problem is like in any given situation, in any other situation, let's say I would definitely advocate the strategy you just said, Hey, if I think that a quarterback's about to be ruled out, it's going to hit the screen and you're going to be able to probably get on the other side of the three. I think fundamentally, I have to say, yeah, that's a good that's a good strategy to take. The difference is that we're not sitting here on Friday morning and the line has been three and a half all week. And so we say, OK, hit it at three and a half. Then you can get off of it at 
two and a half. If it gets on that side, you got a nice middle around the three. The problem is this line was at seven and a half like several days ago. And so it's hard for me to like rationally get that out of my brain, um, knowing that you could have gotten seven and a half, or even if you missed that six and a half or, you know, four and a half, if you, you know, like a much better number than what you're left with right now. Um, here's my issue with this, with this game. So I think I alluded to this on the Wednesday podcast, but, uh, being who I am and the connections that I have got contacted with the information that we are going to be without Josh Allen likely, or a severely limited Josh Allen because of the elbow issue. And so we were the ones who moved this thing down from 48. There were a couple 48 and a half. Some of the spots were limiting us as we were trying to limit bet everything. Um, but we got everything that we could at 48 and a half, then moved the order down to 48, got everything that we could at 48, uh, gave it to clients over at Sharp Football at 48. Um, so we all ate at 48 and like we're happy with the way that the this line has turned down to 43. The issue is that I was going to be on this under anyways. Um, Kirk Cousins out in a dome, outside of his dome, outdoors. We're talking about temperatures that are going to be uh, 34 degrees at kickoff, projected 15 mile per hour winds, feels like temperature will hover around 26 degrees. Like, I don't know that I would want to be backing and rushing to like love Kirk Cousins playing in those conditions. Um, he played outdoors, yeah, sure, in Washington last week, but that was 76 degrees. I mean, it was like it was balmy. The hottest, it was lovely. One of the hottest like November days that I can ever remember here in DC. Um, to watch football outdoors, although I wasn't watching football outdoors, but I was outdoors at some points during the day, basically I think taking out the trash after the after the day after the day was over. Uh, that was the extent of me getting fresh air on a Sunday. But um, look. This commanders, sorry, this Vikings offense played the commanders and played the Eagles. Those are the only two defenses that they've played that rank top 15. They've played the third easiest schedule of opposing defenses this year. They scored seven against the Eagles. They scored 20 against the commanders. You and I both know that probably should have been 13, except for the Taylor Heineke overthrow that bummer but that was ridiculous and gave bummer. them basically seven points because they got the ball yep. at the 12 yard line and easily yep. punched it in for a touch on this team was not driving the ball down the field whatsoever now you're going up against i mean you've just played past defenses that ranked 31 30 25 and 20 over the last month now you're playing the bills number five past defense but my biggest concern is the injuries to the Buffalo Bills defense, specifically the secondary. The Bills just ruled Jordan Poyer out. Greg Rousseau, defensive end, he's also going to be out for this one. Like, who is actually going to be up on the defensive side of the football here? That's a concern for me. The other reason that that's a concern, not just is the guy going to be on the field because he's a good player and his backup is not as good, but how much are they going to be able to utilize too high? Because they only used it 16% of snaps last week against the Jets after using it 50 plus to 66 plus. Um, I mean, they were, they averaged weeks one to five, 66% too high. Two weeks after that, it was down around 50%. Last week, it was 16. And Kirk Cousins has massive splits against too high. So I'm heavily leaned under. I personally have some seven and a half in my pocket. Uh, we hit the under. That was our first move. So I got some 48 and a half and 48. Um, so I can't, it's hard for me to advocate anything on this game right now. Um, I would lean towards the direction that you're suggesting that, that there's still value in the three and a half because it's going to move less than that. But let me tell you, just because I'm saying that does not mean that I would not consider betting Case Keenum laying a point, two and a half points at okay. home against yeah. this team it just all depends on the health of the defense which were is, is is just as much of a moving target as it is as they're trying to talk about what josh allen's status is i mean it's so silly i mean their coach right now is saying he's considered hour by hour that was his quote come like, what the on fuck? is this guy on is this dude on life support <laughs> or something i mean please sean mcdermott like use nfl terms here uh to discuss this player's injury hour by hour i mean my god well, speaking of insulting our intelligence, and by the way, I am going to play something small on Minnesota just because of you know, the, the three and a half points, that closing line value. Like you have to, when you get those opportunities as a discipline, better just get in. Like, you, you know, you, you mentioned, I understand exactly the reservation. 
there was enormous opportunity earlier in the week, you know, before this really got going. And so looking at, I missed on seven and a half, I missed on six and a half, all those reservations, but three and a half, everything on the other side of three still feels like decent value because the line will go below three. We're both in concert on that, right? I think so. I think so. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to run to bet it because I'm just telling you, like, if if there was no injury to Josh Allen and this line was below a four, this was like a spot circled to fade the shit out of the Minnesota Vikings. They should yeah. not be seven and one right now. This team has overstepped their bounds in terms of what they appear from a public perspective, uh, from a value perspective for us. And so this was a spot to fade them, especially with a Bills loss last week, getting a good number there uh, on this game. But so that that's the kind of the the yin and the yang that I'm kind of being split on here because I want to tell you that there's quote-unquote value because I think it will go lower once he's announced out. But I also am trying to say that this is a spot we weren't looking to back the Minnesota Vikings here whatsoever. Right, right. Totally get all of that. Well, let's talk about briefly the other, you know, sort of weird game of the week. You mentioned that we would... um touch on the, the Colts uh, situation. The Colts are, are at the Raiders. The Raiders are favored by four and a half. The total's 40 and a half. And I'm not really looking to play this. I mean, it's, you know, I, I hate the dead coach bounce um, situation. You know, I don't want to fade uh, the, the Colts with Jeff Saturday. The only observation that I'll make is, you know, some of the, like the, the stuff we saw. Ryan Clark did a great job of it on ESPN. Like just a reminder that all of the emphasis that the NFL pretends to put on opportunities for minority candidates is complete bullshit. I mean, like they just grabbed a guy right out of the TV studio and put him in the head coach position. No like process whatsoever is like, let's just go get this guy and, and do it. And that's look, this is the prerogative of the owners, but the window dressing that they continue to, to perpetrate, you know, the Washington post did a pretty decent job. Uh, this year, they did a bri- really in-depth uh, 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 assessment of opportunities for black head coaches. And here a head coach opportunity shows up. And Jim Irsay, uh does what Jim Irsay does and goes and just grabs a guy that he wants off the street. And, that, and that's fine. Um, that That's literally his prerogative. And it's the way that these owners have operated this league from the beginning. Um, but in terms of a wager angle, I love the under. I mean, you can talk me out of it, but I, I'm 40 and a half is sitting at right now. I just don't see anything out of either one of these offenses that suggests to me that um, 41 is, is is a reasonable proposition. Uh, are you handicapping this game at all? Well, first of all, shop around, shop around, shop around, because there are some 41 and a halves out there, as well as some 41s, although the 41 and a halves are out west. So unless you plan on hopping on a flight or, you know, somebody out there who can do it for you, you may be stuck with a 41, but 41's key. Don't take the 40 and a half. The second thing is you're right. This is a weird situation, but, but it's a weird situation from the coaching angle that you suggested, because here the, the owner can select whoever he wants. There's no process. There's no like red tape that they have to go through when you're just firing a coach and hiring his replacement uh, as an interim basis, I guess, you know, I guess. So obviously there would be a lot more that it would have to be done if this was a, uh, a yeah, an off season vacant exactly. head coaching thing, but whatever, it's total bullshit. It's just made up anyway. Well, here, here's the thing. I completely agree with everything that you said when it first happened. Now, like I'm a betting guy and, and I, and, and I think that this whole thing has jumped the shark to some extent. Look, okay. I'm not going to try to say that the Indianapolis Colts are good whatsoever. But let me just say this. Let me just get this rant out. The L.A. Chargers did a very thorough and complex coaching hire. They ended up setting on Staley. He's been garbage. OK, they went and hired this dude who ro- rose through the ranks of the NFL process he put his time in at all these different levels of coaching that you needed to. He stayed one year here, one year there, one year somewhere else as he got promoted and better jobs. And he knows his shit really well. But he's been a terrible head coach. His team stinks. His his his, his decision making, his process in general hasn't been great. Uh, and and what he's getting his assistants to do clearly isn't working either. Right? His ability to identify an assistant like it's even worse for him because he actually had the ability to hire his assistants. 
and 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 Saturday obviously does not. He had the ability to change things, and he's been terrible. He's not just the only head coach that stinks inside the NFL. There's a lot of coaches that stink. A head coach who's not calling defensive plays and who's not calling offensive plays, okay, like a John Fox was in Denver for a little while. Like, does it matter if the dude's like sick one day and not really there? Does it matter if the dude is like, what is he actually contributing anyways in the first place to like what this team's doing? My opinion is this. Jeff Saturday comes in from outside the building. Okay, let me take a step back. Let's talk about the other situation that that we have here, which is everybody complaining about this offense. Nobody's going to be calling plays. Who knows who's calling the plays? What are they going to do calling the plays? I, I'm sorry, did they not just fire like a couple of weeks ago the offense coordinator? And then <laughs> and then last week, did they not just fire the head coach who was calling the plays for the offense? Like, was there not the issue that there was no player who was ever or no coach who's ever called plays? on this roster before Saturday was hired to be the head coach. Like this is not a Jeff Saturday was hired as the head coach problem from outside the building. This was, we had nobody on staff to call plays. Even if you promoted like uh, John Fox, who's on the staff to be the head coach, you're still going to have the same exact fucking issue. There's nobody on the staff who's ever had any experience whatsoever calling plays. So unless you're bringing in some hired gun play caller from off the streets, which people don't like that, you know, that they brought in Jeff Saturday from off the streets, then you're going to run into the same exact situation where there's nobody who's ever had that experience before. So that was a problem that was going to be here, whether they hired Jeff Saturday or not. The biggest issue that I have with this hire is the simple fact that there were guys there who are familiar with all the process and familiar with everything that's going on there that would be much better suited to step up to a role of taking over the whole operation. And potentially more deserving of it. Well, not potentially, clearly more deserving of it, right? Because they've been in the trenches with this team. That's what I take issue with. And that the 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 fact that this team might be now, how are they going to react to Jeff Saturday being there, right? Are they going to take that uh, and be upset with it? Are the co- is the coaching staff going to be upset with that? My, my perspective though, what is Jeff Saturday going to do? He doesn't know these players. He doesn't know the coaching staff. He doesn't know what they've been doing. I'm pretty sure if I was put into that situation and I have to play on the road, we're flying out in four days, okay, since I was hired, three days since I met my players, I'm entrusting all of my staff more. I'm giving yeah. them I'm giving them more of a voice. You guys figure out the office. You guys, yeah, that sounds good on defense. Let's do that. Yeah, I, I like this. I like that. No, like, let's tweak this. But uh, he's not changing much. He's not doing much of anything. He's giving these guys more power, more voice. So what do you think? Like, John Fox was, quote unquote, deserving of being the head coach? Like, what the fuck, dude? The guy's like 70 years old. He's been here, done that. He's not a head coach. Like, it all depended on who they ended up selecting. And I realized that, like, they could have gotten the Reggie Wayne angle and selected him. And I thought that would have been pretty fun and cool to watch. And that's probably what my preference would have been. But to suggest that Jeff Saturday is going to come in here and do more than be like a rah-rah type guy that has very little influence over what this team ultimately is going to end up doing except for a random fourth down decision here or there. Uh, he's not calling the plays on offense. There was nobody here was calling that. He, he's going to be giving more um, voice to all the other coaches on the staff to do more of what they want to do to not be influenced what like Frank Reich might have been telling them to do. So, I mean, at the end of the day, what we're going to get is a Colts team that stinks. Like, it's not going to be because, oh, Jeff Saturday's the guy. I think this team is obviously problematic. My one issue with, like, not wanting to take the Raiders is simply the fact that the Indianapolis Colts played three difficult defenses in the prior three weeks, uh, the Titans, the Commanders, and the Patriots, and now they're going up against the number 32-ranked Raiders, who obviously right now are without Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller. Now, Darren Waller hasn't basically been there the whole season, but Hunter Renfro... Is a loss that they have to deal with, and so, yeah, I mean, I th- that's that's the biggest issue that I have uh, with you know. I'd rather fade this Colts team, but this Raiders team is a cluster fuck as well, and that's it. problematic as well. And so I don't feel really yeah. confident about it. So I just I I wasn't gonna, if we did this podcast on Wednesday or Tuesday, it probably wouldn't have this this type of reaction, but. Every single media station everywhere around the country has just been, in my opinion, hitting on the same thing over and over and raising the bar and raising the bar. And my issue is that 
he's not he 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 shouldn't have been hired, but it's not going to make that big of a difference to what this team's actually going to do if they hired John Fox to be the guy instead. I mean, like it's it's it wasn't going to do anything. Yeah, it is funny that you mentioned the Reggie Wayne thing as you were talking. The, the guy that has the most experience calling plays is Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan should be the offensive coordinator. Yeah. They should at least get get some value out of him. I agree. Sitting there, he under, he knows the offense, right? Well, the problem is he's he's gonna. What is the offense? Because you got a guy who can't <laughs> run the Matt Ryan offense. Like you don't want Taylor Heineke. Uh, you don't want <laughs> Sam Ellinger to do what Matt Ryan was doing. You you need no, you need right. to install a totally different offense that would cater to Sam Ellinger. This is what we talk about every single time that like a young quarterback comes into the league. It's like okay, as long as we lean into emphasizing and maximizing what this guy does well, this is we, w- we will have success. Yeah. If we try to fit a square peg into a round hole and make this guy be something he's not, we're going to be screwed because he's not a good NFL quarterback. So trying to tell him, do the things that a good NFL quarterback does, here's the plays that good NFL quarterbacks get called for, like, that's not going to be good for this kid. So you got to, but I mean, I don't see anybody on staff who's all of a sudden going to design an offense that they know is going to maximize what Sam Ellinger does best. No, and it's why you just misspoke. You almost, you referred to him as Taylor Heineke. Yes. It's exactly what Washington did. They customized, you know, they have an offense already. They have a Heineke offense. They didn't know what the hell the Wentz offense was going to be, but they have a Heineke offense and you're going to live with it. You know, they're going to be a 500 team. That's what you get out of them. But uh, let's bring it back around. Is there any interest whatsoever in the total? 40 and a half, I think. That That's the angle that I would be looking at. Again, the only thing that I'm scared of is the fact that this Ra- Raiders defense absolutely stinks. And then you really do need the effort to come to life from this Colts defense to play well. And what if the Colts defensive coordinator is annoyed that he didn't get the shot to be the head coach, interim head coach, and you know, Gus Bradley? And what if... You know, the players are annoyed that like, I have no idea if like they're going to be given 100 percent or not. But is, is, assuming this defense gives 100 percent for the Colts, like I don't, I don't think the Raiders are scoring 27 plus points here. Like I would be leaning towards the under because sure as shit, Sam Ellinger is not going to be scoring points here quite frequently um, to send this game over by himself. So uh, that's where I would lean. But there's just so many moving parts here that uh i actually didn't bet anything like and what was weird is this line was sitting there for for days doing nothing it was six six and a half it was 42 and a half the only reason it trended lower down to where we're at now which is 41 41 and a half some 40 and a half and four and a half is what happened yesterday which is they officially announced that waller and Renfro are both going to be out. And as soon as that happened, that's when the money came in on the under and on the Colts. But that's really it. Those two players is the main thing that kicked this off. Well, it feels like a stay away, but let's talk about must watch. It's a stay away from betting, but a must watch. (laughs) A must watch. That's exactly right. These next two, I don't know whether or not you would call them must-watches, but they are horny dogs as far as I'm concerned. We are at the portion of the the show where we talk about the Urban Meyer horny dog games of the week. I have two that I like quite a bit. Uh, The first one is the Pittsburgh Steelers getting points at home, hosting the New Orleans Saints. Pittsburgh coming off a bye week. The total in that game is 40 and a half. I'm just telling you right now, I'll show my ass. I'll, I'll, I'll reveal... It's a teaser leg lock for house. The Pittsburgh Steelers teasing from the one and a half up through the seven to seven and a half lock uh, leg for house. It's just an unbelievable situational spot for the Steelers. The Saints are coming off their short week Monday night football. They looked, you know, dead against a a, a vibrant rejuvenated uh, Ravens offense, maybe. And then you have all of the stuff with Mike Tomlin in this situation at home uh, at, at this portion of the season. He's 11 and four straight up out of the bye. The last five times there have been uh, they've been wins. Uh, Tomlin at, at, as an underdog from week five forward. And these stats are all over the interwebs. 39, 16 and one against the spread. 14, two and one against the spread. At home in that situation, the, the the Steelers have covered nine straight times. T.J. Watt is rumored to be potentially back this week. What's the latest on that rumor right now, Sharpie? Yeah, he's practicing. The latest I have heard is that a limited snap count, but he'll, he's going to play. So, again, that leaves 
that leaves anything up in the air. I'm, I'm sure they're not bringing him back to get in there for five defensive plays, but if he doesn't feel 100% on those five, then that's all he's obviously going to get. Uh, but yep. he's not going to be playing a full game. Yeah, well, and that that that's fine. Uh, Steelers have been great at home. They don't give up uh, 20 points per game. The Saints uh, have have injury concerns. Marcus Davenport la- left last week. Eric McCoy and Pete Werner questionable. Lattimore and Thomas already out. I mean, it's just give me the Steelers. Give me Tomlin. This is their time. The other thing about this opportunity for the Steelers is they finally had a chance to sit down and and help their rookie, help devise and 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 design something. You talked about this with poor Ellinger. You know, give Pickett a chance. And and there's nothing about the Saints defense that suggests that the uh, Steelers can't game plan against the the Steelers. It's not like I mean against the Saints. It's not like a particularly tough personnel matchup with the Saints. So I absolutely love the Steelers getting the one and a half, but really getting the seven and a half. You have any any views on on this uh, Steelers Saints matchup? I love your conviction. Um, it's obviously a plus EV teaser leg. Um, there's no doubt about that. Here's my take. If you're going to, te- this is this is my take for this season. Last season, I might not have felt this way. This season in particular, with the variances out there, if you're going to take a dog and tease them up, and so you're pairing them with somebody else and you're teasing them as well, hopefully it's a dog through the three and the seven as well. Put, put something on these teams separately as well. Like, don't let your entire bet ride on just these dogs because there's so much variance out there uh, in the NFL. And I admit, I made the mistake last week. I went and I teased the Seahawks and I teased uh, the Saints. And instead of just, I, I wanted to go all in on just the Seahawks, but I decided to throw them in this teaser. And obviously, you know, I'm far from perfect. I make mistakes as well. I didn't go ahead and like get overboard on just betting the Seahawks also. And that was my favorite leg of the teaser. But I, you know, the Seahawks, the Saints were a plus EV teaser leg as well. Long teaser moved through. And then obviously they lose by more than uh, eight. And the game that, you know, the whole teaser is a loss. So right. bet the Steelers as well. Um, if you're going to do this, I love your conviction on this play. Um, I tweeted out earlier that the Steelers are the only team to not have scored a touchdown from at least outside the red zone. Like they have their longest <laughs> touchdown on the season has been eight yards away from the end zone. That's insane. It sounds insane. People see it on Twitter and they're like, what the fuck? And that's why it's been liked 15,000 <laughs> 15, times. But yeah. The issue is that. What's, what's mind-boggling is it is, actually is insane because no other team since as far back as the data goes, which is 2000, has ever gotten through nine weeks where they haven't scored a touchdown from at least 15 yards away from the end zone. Every single team, every single year has scored from at least 15 yards away, except for the Steelers, which have only scored from eight. I Look, if Mike Tomlin is saying, oh, well, we're going to insert Warren more into running back because you know we, we need uh, Najee to, first of all, I mean, how... How ironic is that, right? Like, I think everybody in Pittsburgh who hated the fact that I went on to your call-in shows and was telling you that I didn't love Najee Harris to pick there and you should be getting an offensive lineman. You guys need to focus on the line. The line is more impactful than what the running back is going to deliver. You know, my my DMs are open. You can feel free to apologize, right? Because (laughs) like now they're going and inserting Warren in there and it's because Najee's not getting the explosion that they want out of the ground game. Well, guess what? It's because your O-line isn't opening enough holes. And that's the number one reason. Um, but I, if Mike Tomlin's willing to do that, if Mike Tomlin's willing to change it up, you better have been in there pounding on the door of Matt Canada, your offense coordinator, and telling him what you want him to change. Don't just swap players. The scheme itself needs to be improved. And I know you can't fire the guy and maybe promote somebody else mid-season that's going to do a better job because maybe you don't have anybody on staff that you feel like could do a better job. But Matt Canada absolutely stinks and they need to tweak some things so that he can have improved success and the Steelers can have improved success. But I don't hate you liking the Steelers or wanting to tease them. Yeah, this could be the week of of Pickett to Pickens. We've been begging for it. Let let let, let Pickens let let the double P's cook. We'll come up with a better name than the double P's. All right, we're gonna hit our our uh, betting buddy wager of the week. But I have two other games: one horny dog, and then my absolute number one favorite game on the entire slate. 
So the the other horny dog I had lined up here is the Cleveland Browns getting three and a half points at Miami. I think it opened at four, maybe even there were four and a halfs in the market. But in any event, this is like just fair warning. I am living on recency bias street. I watched the, the Cleveland Browns kick the Cincinnati Bengals ass on Halloween night. I haven't forgotten it. It was very memorable. That plus the amount of candy that I stole from my kid. That night was a was a banner night because we were on the Browns and we were on the couch with candy wrappers all around us, Sharpie. But man, that I just can't get out of my head how formidable the Browns pass rush was. And what we've seen out of uh, um, the, the, the the Browns offensively in terms of their their double uh, headed rushing attack. The question I have, I'll just ask you, what's your opinion of Miami's run defense? Very good. Very good yeah, run defense. I know. So I don't really want to invest in this too heavily. Miami's not great at pressuring the, the quarterback, but does that really matter for uh, <laughs> Jacoby Brissett, right? Like, you know, his, his accuracy numbers aren't um, through the roof. The, the, uh, Browns are getting back their stud cornerback, and it's a good thing. It's Denzel Ward. It's a good thing because they're going down to Miami where Tua likes to cook. I just like the extra anything above the three for me feels like a, a decent um, wager, and and I like uh, the Browns in the spot coming off the rest. Poor Miami's been uh, nine straight games, two straight road games, and really this is just like I'll take the team off of the extra rest, uh, getting, you know, a, a full point above two and a half or, you know, three, depending on what number you can get them at. Any sizing up of the Miami-Cleveland matchup? Yeah, so in like 10 minutes, you're going to ask me, hey, what are you liking this week on the card? And I'm going to tell you wh- right now that the Cleveland Browns are the team that I am liking on the card. And so we're going to have uh, a situation here where we're both liking this um, and otherwise I would tell people, Hey, I already bet the over in the Houston, Texas, New York giants game, but I gave it to my clients at 38 and a half. It's now 41. So I don't adv- advocate going over 41. It's a key number. So this is the game that I have to talk about here because that game, like there, there's no value and you would have gotten the value if you got down with us earlier, but you didn't. So this game here though, as you said, if it's over three and a half, I like this. And here's why you mentioned the pressure on Jacoby Brissett. It is going to make a difference that Miami is struggling. Miami is getting pressure less and less often. And as a result, they're blitzing more and more often. But a high rate of these blitzes are not hitting home and are not delivering pressure. And in fact, on the season, there's 98 defensive snaps where the Dolphins have blitzed but not gotten pressure. That's the Mm. most of any team in the NFL. And that's going to be impactful because Jacoby Brissett has huge split, huge splits when he's blitzed and that pressure doesn't get home. And so he's going to have opportunities to have some big time passes down the field when that pressure is not getting home. Since week six, when he's blitzed and that doesn't get home, plus 0.94 EPA per attempt, 60% success, and 13.5 yards per pass attempt. So if that pressure does get home, it's only 5.2 yards per attempt. So and there's going to be times when he's going to get sacked or he's going to you know, throw the ball away and it's going to look bad. But what, he's also going to have some opportunities for some big-time plays. The other thing that I like, yes, I do think that the Dolphins are going to be able to limit the upside of some of these runs from Nick Chubb. However... They rank dead last in the NFL in efficiency allowed to running backs on passes. Mm. They are allowing the highest upside for opponents catching the ball out of the backfield for running backs. So therefore, I like the fact that he's going to be able to have pass attempts to Kareem Hunt or Nick Chubb, and those should have some success. And lastly, the Dolphins don't play cover too. Obviously, they play man. They like to blitz. Jacoby Brissett, big time splits too high versus non too high. He struggles against too high. He's not going to be playing too high here. He's going to be playing a lot of man. He's had a lot more success against man. Um, and I think for that reason, he's going to be able to have some success here. So I think, I think the Browns are going to be able to come down here off the bye with their O-line a touch healthier and have some success offensively. 
in this game. And then it's on their defense to try to slow down Miami. The other thing that I like about this game is, uh, and that does frustrate me a little bit about Mike McDaniel. And, and, and trust me, like I love the guy coaching so far what he's done this season. But the one thing that frustrates me more than any is kind of a thing like Kyle Shanahan, which is like, you know, if they're if they're a favorite and asked to cover this larger spread, it's sometimes a challenge for them because it's not in their DNA to continue to build margin. And we've seen it game in, game out since Tua's returned. It's like, we'll squeak by with a win, right? We'll squeak yeah. by with the Steelers. We're not going to pull away or enhance that win over the second half. We're not going to continue to try to build that lead, emphasize winning easy. We're going to we're gonna be satisfied with winning close. And so if the Browns are down by 10 points, it's, it's certainly in the realm of possibilities that the Dolphins are fine with running the ball and thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm draining the clock. I will have to punt it back, but that's okay. We're burning, you know, two minutes off the game clock here in the fourth quarter. And then the Browns come down when the Dolphins are playing prevent and score a touchdown and they win. Uh, the Dolphins win by three points. Like that's well in the realm of possibility here, which is why you want to get the three and a half, which is widely available. Um, if not, get to a four. Like if this gets bet up a touch, the, the Dolphins are the public side here. The, the public yeah. loves Miami right now. Can't blame them. I love Miami too, but I think this matchup, look, I wish it was a, a matchup where the Dolphins run defense sucked and we could go down to Miami with the Browns and, and, and run the ball all over them. And I'd love the Browns more, but I still think from the way I'm handicapping this game and analyzing the matchup through the air that the Browns are going to have an edge. And I know it's scary to back Jacoby Brissett in that role and think, okay, probably aren't going to win this game if it relies on Nick Chubb. We're going to need Jacoby Brissett to step up. I realize that's a very scary proposition. Like there's a reason why this team is an underdog of three and a half points, four points. It was earlier four and a half. Like I understand that's that's why there's a line there that's giving you extra points is because Jacoby Brissett is not the greatest quarterback in the world and you need him to step up here on the road. But I kind of think that they might be able to. Yeah, and the, and the Browns, you know, from their perspective, it seems like they think the version of the team is the is the version that we saw on that Halloween night game against Cincinnati. And if they go down to Miami and win this game, they're at four and five. And Deshaun Watson is one week closer. Like I, I know, you know, the in the because of the expanded playoff format, you can't just completely rule out the possibility of getting on a little bit of a run for, for the Browns. They have the talent on both sides of the ball. Um, in, in any event, I want to, so we're both in lockstep on this one. The back door is wide open, uh, and we love getting over the three. I have a game that I just feel like is the best and, and everybody knows with me over the course of this season and the other seasons we've done this show, Sharpie, once a, a team treats me well, I tend to fixate on it a little bit. So we've, we've had a lot of Dallas on this show this season. So much Seattle on the show. I'm tell well, I'm here to tell you we are going back to Chicago this week, my friend. I love deep dish. I love the the uh, the 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 lakeside, the beachfront there. I love uh, the 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 sausages, and I love Justin Fields. And this opportunity right here to have the Chicago Bears outside at home. You have the weather data in, in front of you. I have some some round numbers, but share with the people what the weather in Chicago on Sunday at the at game time is going to look like. Okay, let's pull it up because I like doing the most recent forecast. We punch yes. in the address. I've got it stored in my phone. So we're going direct to the stadium. Sunday, we have got at noon local time, which is what time this game kicks off. 36 degrees. It's going to feel like 28. As they're warming up, it's going to feel like between 23 and 28 degrees. It is going to be clear. It is going to be sunny. We are going to have winds at 10 miles per hour with gusts of 10 to 12. So it's not going to be the wind that's really going to cause any type of problem, but it is absolutely going to be cold here. And we know what you're going to say next. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the California boy. That California boy does not like the cold weather. Poor Jared Goff. I think he's a nice guy. I've heard some nice things about him personally. and and But that the gentleman has lived his entire coddled existence in warm climates. And then he goes from a warm climate to the, to the sanctity of that dome in Detroit. And the numbers are just incredible. 
when he is the quarterback of a team playing outside when it's cold, they are bad. They lose. He's three and nine against the spread in cold or rainy weather. Uh, four, seven and one straight up 21 career games with Detroit. His worst expected points added game was earlier this season in an outdoor game at New England where Detroit lost 29 to nothing. And the weather wasn't even that bad. Second worst was a cold game last year against Pittsburgh. His expected points added in drop back. Uh, all of his outdoor games with the with the Lions are negative. The Lions don't like playing outdoors. Seven outdoor games under Dan Campbell. Oh, six and one straight up. Two and five against the spread. They can't score. They average only 13.7 points per game in those games. And they lose by a ton. They lose by 16 points. What Chicago has done in reinventing its offense, eighth best in the NFL and EPA since the bye week, Chase Claypool and Justin Fields. Maybe there's a relationship building. The Lions are bottom five in every run defensive category you can cook up. Those linebackers aren't going to keep up with, with Justin Fields. That dude is lightning. I just love this spot so much. The fact that it's at three points just is is, is so interesting wonderful. I've plowed into it at the beginning of the week. I plowed into it in the middle of the week. I'm plowing into it again at the end of the week. Is there any reason to talk me out of some of this? Do you want me to protect myself any, Sharpie? Uh, yeah, I always want you to protect yourself when you're betting. Like, look, this is your hard-earned money. Like, we're trying to build our bankrolls. We're trying to make money, but we never want to be going over the top betting on a game that we have no control over the outcome and uh, and, and losing too much, right? So, that I understand. I understand. Sure. Yeah. Number two. Responsibly. Number two. Did you happen to read the article that I wrote about Justin Fields and this Bears uptick in efficiency? I haven't had a chance. I have not. Okay. So um, I wrote about this. Um, I recorded a video, posted up on my Twitter. Uh, but the Chicago Bears were averaging 15.5 points per game, which is 31st in the NFL the first six weeks of the season. And Fields was being sacked on 16.7% of his dropbacks. The average was 6.5%. Fields was not just number one this season. It was the number one highest rate that we've seen in the NFL since at least 2000, which is as far back as true media records go. Okay, So he was getting absolutely annihilated back there, uh, holding onto the ball in the pocket. And the team was not scoring as a result. All of a sudden, as you certainly have witnessed, and and it is interesting how I'm not saying this is a you problem. This is like what the public's doing as well. Y you couldn't sell the Bears fast enough in New England uh, like three weeks ago, right? Like right. You, you you couldn't get enough money down on the New England Patriots against the Chicago Bears. And here the tide is completely turned. And it's like, I can't get enough money down on Justin Fields because I love him so much. And they've gone from a team averaging only 15 and a half points per game uh, that led the NFL number one highest sack rate that we've seen ever since 2000 to now scoring on 53% of their drives. Number one in the NFL. No team over the last three weeks has scored points more frequently on drives than the Chicago Bears. And they're averaging 31.3 points per game. That's number five. So what the fuck happened? How did this occur? So I do what I always do when I'm working with the coaching staff. Uh, you know, the first thing I'm going to do is we're going to look at your early down efficiency. What are you doing on early downs? What is helping you on early downs? And I'm looking at their early down numbers. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. This isn't what I was expecting. They're the same. It's the Spider-Man meme on early downs in terms of just pure efficiency. Forget like what plays they're specifically calling. They rank number 30 in percentage of plays early down plays to gain a first down. Now they rank number 28. The, the, the percentage difference is like point from 21.1 to 21.8. It's, it's basically negligible. Their EPA per play on early downs moved from 27 to 25. Like this isn't what's causing this huge spike in efficiency. The huge spike in efficiency is because instead of only converting 35% of their third downs, they're converting 55% of their third downs over the last three weeks. And how are they doing that? It's primarily not because they are facing th shorter third downs, because that's the number one way to look. Oh, maybe they're put, doing better on early downs to set up third downs that are shorter, easier for them to convert. How else could they go from 35% to 55%? Nope, that's not happening here. They're now averaging only 7.3 yards to go. They were 7.4. I mean, we're still talking about a blowout average offense that moved, you know, 
a tenth of One a tenth. decimal point. So yeah. we're not talking about that. What has happened here is the fact that Justin Fields has stopped taking sacks. He had taken eight sacks on 15% of all of his dropbacks on third downs. Now he's taken one sack, only 3% of his dropbacks on third downs. So he's moving. What he's doing is the pass rush is coming or there's a problem with what he's seeing down the field. Instead of hanging in the pocket and waiting for the pass rush to get there and keep scanning the field, boom, he's taken off. He's taken off and he's converting those what would have been sacks into uh, first downs. And I talked on the phone to Solak. He obviously wrote about this notion uh, when he saw Sam Ellinger being inserted. Oh, they, they're doing this because of this notion that, you know, quarterbacks can erase sacks and turn them into to yardage gains. It obviously is totally true and has occurred throughout the league. Hasn't really been the case with Ellinger to date, but definitely has been what Justin Fields has been doing. What I would like, though, here's the problem, House, is that yeah. I'm seeing this happen on third downs. And third yep. downs aren't really bankable, good production week over week and predictive of the future. I want to see him doing this more on his early downs. Okay, I want to see him just, when there's an open run lane, take off. I want to see him running with the football more on early downs. Don't save it to be Superman on third down, because you know what? There's going to be to too many times now that the defense is going to start planning that, hey, this guy's running mainly on third downs. We're going to play a different style of defense on third downs to help limit it because this stuff gets put on tape and then the defenses start to adjust. So utilize this a little bit more on early downs and I would like the more. Um, I have zero opinion on this game, though. Unfortunately, like all of that and I have no opinion because if I had found in my research that they had made this wholesale change and were doing more on early downs, I would I would I would run to the window and say yes. But it's it's mainly on third downs, and I'm not gonna but I'm not gonna like go and run to the window and take the Lions either because of that. I'm still a bit leery because of the Jared Goff playing outdoors situation that I can't fully get behind your play here. Uh, but okay. I'm not okay. gonna I'm not okay. gonna I'm not gonna argue with you. I just have to throw a, a dash of reality water uh from the data onto the fire uh but the fire's still going it's just a little bit it's not raging out of control now for you i understand that that that's fine you know who's gonna want some fire is jared goff because he wants to warm up his small hands next uh, the, the, on on sunday uh and i i don't mind you know it, it's a it's a short enough number that i feel comfortable making the investment that i've made very responsible i never go over the bankroll it's just a favorite bet Speaking of favorite bets, let's pick one. The Twitter yes. people have, have have spoken. I've, okay. I've seen the the timeline. Let, let's hear some some options. The timeline's blowing up. So we got Dolphins minus three and a half. Obviously, no. Uh, a teaser. Seattle to Indy. You already are on Seattle in a teaser, so we can't do that one. Saquon Barkley. Well, this is a massive player prop here. Uh, so combo. So parlay. So we're not going to do that. The over in the Lions Bears game. Okay, that's one that you could choose from. Um, there's two guys are on that one. Uh, Seahawks Bucks under 44 and a half. You want to wake up and root for nothing to happen on Sunday morning. You can do that one. Uh, Justin Fields over 57 and a half rushing yards. Still way too low from Eric Johnson. Um, Seahawks on the money line. Uh, we've got the Giants minus four and a half off their bye, taking on the Houston Texans. The over in the Chiefs game from Micah. Uh, Chicago minus two and a half. We, you're already on that one. Uh, John likes KC minus nine and a half. Uh, anytime touchdown from Justin Jefferson. And there's so many of these guys. You guys love the show. Thanks this for tuning great. in. Thanks for following us. Thanks for submitting your bets. Um, uh, let's see. We got a teaser here. Denver to Pittsburgh. Well, you're already on Pittsburgh, so you can't do that one. Um, the under in the Chargers 49ers game from David. We've got uh, Houston first half money line, so an upset here from AWS. Uh, I mean, there's so many. Anything there? Yeah. Uh, peak your eyes, or I, you know, the going? the I, I I hate to be a one trick pony, uh, but I do want to make it slightly less complicated than like a three leg teaser or anything. The teaser I'm already on. I've already given it out. It's going to be the sensible teaser of the week. It's Seattle and Pittsburgh. I'm pairing those two up for sure. Um, I want to do something derivative with that that Bears uh, Lions game, and both the over in that game and the Justin Fields rushing rushing total are interesting to me. I have an inclination. I mean, this is obviously I said this 15 minutes ago on this show. I live on recency bias street. I watched that dude turn on the Jets from the backfield against that Miami defense last week, 
and just go down the the, the field, you know, looking like uh, uh, a version of I don't know who who was our fastest runner. Like I'll go all the way back to my Daryl Green days, but you know, Randy Moss, just just uh, 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 you know, beautiful running stride. Nobody can lay a finger on him. Um, I kind of want to play that that rushing total over. I kind of want to do that because De- Detroit is so bad uh, stopping the run. I don't think that they have a single player uh, on their defense that can keep up with Justin Fields. And I think that, you know, Chicago is going to find itself. <laughs> you just went through the entire script of, you know, needing to gain some yardage on third down. And Justin Fields is their best option in that respect. So I think that's the one I'm going to play. Do you, okay, do you, so not have... the game. So not the game over because we do have Max and Rance Meyer both like the game over. That's not what you're talking about. You're talking about Justin Fields rushing yards over. We've got Eric Johnson, whose handle is the Captain 15, and we've got Andy Carrington, whose handle is Andy Carrington RRS. Both those guys like Justin Fields rushing yards over. That's the one that you like. That's the one that I'm on because okay. the, the, my concern with the game total is that Detroit won't do its part. Like, I don't want, you know, I, I don't, I'm not worried about Chicago getting to 30 points, but, but Detroit, you know, comes out and lays another offensive turd because Jared Goff's hands are so cold. I don't want to be like, put myself in the position of, of having to count on those small hands in, in that cold weather. So I like the Justin Fields rushing total over. We've got two of the, the, the betting buddies, uh, handles you just shouted out. Let's ride. That's a, that's a very simple and straightforward one. Let's try and make some money this week. Let's do this one. Sharpie. So Andy and Eric, you guys are now famous. You can tell your friends and family you got the shout out on the Ringer Gambling Show. I think I think this is a this is a one that House really likes, and you guys are lucky enough to uh, he's chosen your bet. It's everybody root for the Justin Fields rushing over to hit home, uh, so that these guys can be rewarded, and that'll do it. Thank you guys for listening. The Ringer Gambling Show will be back on Sunday when Raheem shares his top five picks. Be sure to stay tuned to the Ringer Gambling feed as well as we continue to pump out content on Monday. JJ and Raheem preview Monday Night Football, East Coast Bias on Tuesday, and of course, myself with Austin on Wednesday. Thanks again to Joe House for joining me and to Mike Wargron and Steve Cerruti for producing this episode. Good luck with all your bets this weekend, and we'll talk to you next week.